are going to be looking at Galatians. We're going to be digging in chapter 5, starting at verses 1 through 15. And the title of the message today is Stand Fast in Freedom. And we're going to be looking at what Paul has been teaching these Galatians. You there? Say amen. Awesome. You guys are quick. All right, let's do this. Let's read, verse, let's read our passage today. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again, every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use a liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Lord, this is your word, and we are going to study it this morning. We're going to hear, Lord, what you have to say for us. And we pray that, Spirit, you would just move amongst us and that you would speak. Lord, that even myself would be moved aside, Lord, so that you uh, could just teach, Lord, speak. Today, in Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul, the whole background to Galatians is that Paul is talking to this Gentile church. And they had become believers. They had come out of uh, idol worship and and following all the ways of their culture and worshiping false gods. And they'd they'd come to receive Jesus Christ. And Paul uh, is ministering to them because as soon as Paul would go into these towns and preach the gospel, there would come this group. And this group was called Judaizers. These were Jews that had received Christ, but they, they still preached alongside of, of Christ as the Messiah, a, a strict adherence to the laws, the Old Testament laws. And so they had a message, in short, where they were preaching Jesus plus doing the works of the law. And this group came in and tried to subvert these Gentile Christians into believing that they needed to abide by the the law to fully be saved. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, but we need you to eat kosher foods. 
You need to uh, follow uh, all the cleanliness laws. You need to become circumcised. That was a symbol of God's covenant with his people. And they were trying to bring uh, the Galatians back into this relationship. Or this relationship with God through the law, which is what Christ had come to, to take care of. So Paul has been spending a lot of time right now describing the freedom that the Gentile, the Gentile Christians in Galatia experienced, what, they, what was their present circumstance in Christ, that they didn't need to go under this law. And he said, don't go again back into the law. Paul is described as this freedom he, where it's found. It, it, early on in the letter, he said, we've been made free through faith in Jesus. He described how this freedom and this relationship has changed us and that we are now considered sons and daughters of God through Jesus. Jesus has already made right this relationship. We don't need to add anything longer to it. And then he describes what the freedom means is that we are no longer slaves to the little gods that we once served. We're no longer bound to fulfill the Old Testament law. We have a relationship with God based on what Christ has done. And today we're going to remember that as well. Now what Paul is going to do is he's going to exhort us to not lose this freedom. To don't lose the freedom that we have in Christ. He's not talking about salvation here. This isn't a salvation issue. This, he is talking about freedom in Christ. Free from bondage to self-salvation, self-works, trying to achieve God's favor in our own efforts. That's what the freedom that Christ that we need to stand fast in. So let's look at God's word here in verse one. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. The ESV reads, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has come and he did all of his work so that we can truly be free. There is no, no need for us to think that we have to gain his favor through acts, through uh, some sort of regulations. There's no need to, to think that we have to keep uh, a specific religious right to maintain relationship with him. And the exhortation for us in this first verse is to stand fast in the liberty, in that freedom. You'll notice I'll use the word liberty and freedom interchangeable. Stand fast. It's a military term. It means to keep alert and be strong, resist, uh, resistible and sticking together. I thought that was kind of interesting that this one word also had a connotation of, of a group of people resisting. It wasn't just a, a, uh, an individual making sure that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and they stood strong. But it also entailed a, a linking of arms, of sticking together as in uh, a military platoon. 
Paul's commands to them to submit, uh, he commands them to stand fast and not submit again to a yoke of bondage. You see, we have this responsibility and this freedom to protect our relationship with him. God does his part and he does it, but we we stand fast in the freedom by protecting that relationship with him. We do not want to bring anything else into our relationship with him that will um, disrupt it. And this is what Paul has been exhorting the Christians this whole time. Don't listen to what they're saying. Christ has done it all and you need to fix your eyes fully upon him. The Galatians were at risk of becoming slaves again. They had already been freed from being in bondage to worldly idols. That's what he says in chapter 4. He tells them that Jesus has saved them from being in bondage to worldly idols and systems of pagan worship. Now they were in danger of becoming bound again by trying to live according to the law or by being religious. Think about that. How many of us had come from backgrounds of serving worldly idols? How many of us were going our own path in our own way when God had stopped us? I look around and I know some of your, your own testimonies and what God has brought you from. Pagan worship. Maybe a worship of pleasure. Maybe a pursuing after, uh, of greed, of lying, of deception. God has freed us from that. And then the opposite can happen if we're not careful. We can begin to have a workspace relationship with Christ. Thinking that, oh man, I didn't go to church this week. Or I missed my Bible reading. Or uh, I am committing to tithing this much and every single time to, so that God will look favorably upon me. That's the key. I'm only doing this in response to get something from him. Is that freedom? No. It's something that we're, we're trying to attempt to have on our own. He goes, you guys are becoming, uh, you're in danger of becoming slaves again. Chapter four, he tells them, now they were in danger of becoming bound by trying to live according to the law or by religious uh, being religious. This was their, um, what the Judaizers were coming in to teach them. They were trying to take the freedom that they had in Christ and bring them under uh, acceptance to, to God by keeping the law. You know, think about, I mean, our old lives, we were trying to appease, maybe some uh, come from a very pagan background. We're trying to appease the gods. You know, uh, I always hear that term, um, Karma, I'm only doing good so that good will return back to me. You know, oh, that's bad karma there. That's good karma there. But Paul is taking this and he's wanting to make sure that they understand it fully. Because when, when we approach God through these means, through um, trying to keep laws, it actually does more harm to our relationship with him then it does good. And he's going to illustrate this a little bit further. Indeed, I, Paul, verse 2, say to you that if if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. 
And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And Paul takes on one of the key works of the law that was being taught to the Galatians, circumcision. Like I said already, this this covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign of his, his kind of separation by God from the rest of the world. This was God's people, and he was going to use Abraham to bless the nations. He was going to grow um, his own special people through the line of Abraham. And so the sign of circumcision was a, was a symbol of their being set apart to God. And if they, by becoming circumcised, sought to gain acceptance by God, going back and thinking, well, if, if Abraham did the, the, the sign of the circumcision and it was passed down that that's the way I gain acceptance by God then they, they were bringing these Christians into trying to have that understanding too, that their acceptance was only through this act. But if, becoming, if they were seeking to become circumcised to gain acceptance by God, then Christ becomes a no help to you and you are trusting in your own works for salvation. There is no Christ plus works. And... Paul had already testified to them. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. Let's read that together. He's already stated all of this in an earlier chapter. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. He's quoting these Old Testament scriptures. And he says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Paul had made clear to them earlier that if you're seeking to be justified by your actions, then you have to keep all of the laws. You can't let one go by. If you're going to try to be accepted by God um, by uh, keeping the, the circumcision, then you have to make sure you're eating all the cleanliness or the clean foods. You have to keep uh, all the what the law had said. But Paul says that the just shall live by faith. And that was the point he was making earlier, that we are saved by faith, not of works. And the law is not of faith because it doesn't take faith to just obey all these rules. You have a point system that you're working on and you keep all of these things diligently in order to gain that acceptance. It can't be of faith. Faith trusts. says in verse 4, going back to chapter 5, that you have become estranged from Christ, who attempt, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And I think that this is the greatest warning for us today as we go through this um, letter here. It says, you have become estranged from Christ. What does trusting in our own works for salvation due to us? Well, first off, Paul says it, it estranges us from Christ. 
our very Savior. If we begin to trust in our works, it actually drives a wedge into that relationship. He said it earlier, or we'll say it later, that Christ has become... Let me find it here. Oh, that in verse 2, Christ will profit you nothing. So, when we trust in our own works for salvation, it's, it will estrange us from Christ. This means that our fellowship with Jesus has stopped, and not on his part, but on ours. We're starting to bring in things with us that we're, that we're trying to achieve his favor with. But it means that, that that relationship that he died for, that relationship that he's paid the price for to, to happen already is, is being severed. It's estranged. And when I think of the word estranged, I'm thinking of, of relationships. You think of, 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 of a, a covenant of marriage where the, the spouse brings in another person and it brings a wedge. Between that relationship, it's an estrangement. You don't know the person anymore. You don't know what's going on. And, and it doesn't even have to be another person. It could be some other element or thing that is just uh, becoming between that relationship. You lose touch with that person. You no longer know how they're feeling or, or even care at times. Because it becomes about you and what you desire. And so trusting in our own works for salvation, meeting some sort of requirement that we've set for ourselves or um, trying to keep some sort of regulations actually harms our relationship with Christ. And we'll see later on that where the works truly come from and why we want to keep ourselves pure and follow laws. But we don't follow them to achieve salvation. It actually separates us from Christ. And it says that the, the other thing, there's two things that happen when we're trusting in our own works for salvation is, is it, it estranges us from Christ and then we fall from grace. I used to have this thought that falling from grace meant that you had kind of done this mortal sin and you no longer were um, forgiven. But if we look at this, it has to do with bringing something into our relationship is that we've stopped enjoying walking in his grace, that unmerited, unearned favor with God that Christ has supplied for us. The Galatians were exchanging this grace relationship with one based on works and trying to justify themselves through the law. They were falling uh, susceptible to the teaching that was being brought in. So the question then is, how do we stand fast? If that's our title, is standing fast in freedom. How do we stand fast against an attack from somebody else or us trying to achieve God's favor? Well, in verse 5, Paul says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Really, it's by doing the opposite of self-work and looking to Jesus. And that might be kind of uh, maybe too simple in some ways, but it's going back to our first love. Those of you that have been there on, on uh, Wednesday nights, Pastor Greg's been taking us through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And one of them, he exhorts, come back to your first love. You're doing a lot of great things, but you've forgotten your first love. Really, 
The way we stand strong is by holding fast to our foundation, which is Christ. It's doing the opposite of self-work. It's looking completely to him and trusting solely on him that he is the one working in our lives. It's through dependence upon the Holy Spirit that we look forward to the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ and not self-effort. We're not trusting in our own works, but we're looking to what he has supplied, what his word has already said is ours, and what we will ultimately be accepted in. This is in contrast to the way that was being taught. It's interesting that the word hope of righteousness by faith, those words there could otherwise be said, we wait for the hoped for righteousness by faith. Don't you just desire that? Don't you desire to to just stand completely pure before him? He sees us that way, that it's ours, but there will be the day where it's the reality. We no longer have the sin nature that we're, we're struggling with in the flesh. Those are all... Christianese terms that describe just our evilness. We, we struggle with this. We feel tempted to be uh, so concerned about ourselves and not about anybody else. We're so uh, tempted to have our way and not um, see the benefit of another person. I desire and we wait for eagerly. That word eagerly it describes an intense yearning and a waiting. And one of the brothers and I, we were talking about this the other night and he was saying that it's, there's an oxymoron built into that whole thing. How often are you eagerly waiting? You know, it's like hurry up and wait. But when you are excited about something, you can't wait till it's yours. You can't wait till it's a present reality. You order that thing on Amazon and you're just waiting for it to show up. Two days is not short enough. I just want it to get here. But you're yearning and yearning for the the righteousness that he has. Not anything that I can make up. Because if we continue on trying to make it up in ourselves, we will ultimately let ourselves down. We will fail to miss the marks that we even set ourselves, much less those that are found in in the laws of God. It shows here that we're just waiting for him. That is one way to stand strong. Look at him and wait for him, what he has done. For in Christ Jesus, verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. There is no power in the keeping of that circumcision law or not. There's nothing. It's just a work. It's nothing that can make you more acceptable by by being diligent to keep any sort of of rule. I'm going to read my Bible every single day of the week. That's the way that I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to achieve some righteousness for myself. We can turn a lot of these great things of ours that we richly enjoy into works that are meaningless. I'm going to be there for every event or for every church service so that I can feel good about myself. The world wants you to feel good about yourself. That's their primarily, primary uh, focus nowadays. You've got to get you right. Work on you. Well, the only way to work on you is to go to Jesus and to look at him and let him do his work in you.
Not you working on you. There is no power in the circumcision or these works. But there is power in faith. Trusting God and the result is works born out of love. Not self-effort. When we fix our eyes upon Jesus, everything that we do is not to gain his acceptance, but to be just because we love him. I read my Bible every day of the week because I want to know him. Not because I want to feel better about myself. Because he has displayed his love so greatly in my life that I want to know him even more so. I want my behaviors to fall in line with with what honors him and makes him proud. You see, Paul deviates a little bit from his, his message to the Galatians to start asking them some questions. They're kind of personal. He says in verse 7, you ran well. Guys, you were doing really good. But who, who, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I think we can ask ourselves the same thing. Do you remember a time where you were deeply in love with Christ and every moment you could spend in his word, you were digging in? You were at church, you were worshiping. You were at the prayer meetings because you wanted every single person you knew that didn't know Jesus to know Jesus and you were praying for them wholeheartedly every day. You were worshiping loudly and boisterously, crying in the car because that song would just rattle you right where you needed it. I remember some of those days in my own life. And I pray that nothing is hindering me from moving forward in those areas. You see, the Galatians started receiving this false teaching. That was driving a wedge between them and Jesus. They began to go down this route of believing their own efforts because of false teachers. People that were teaching them something contrary to what God's word says. What what Paul had been teaching them. This wasn't a a message of Christ that led them to seek righteousness through self-effort. This isn't from him who calls you, is what Paul said. The word hinder means to cut in, to make an incision, to, to hinder. And here's an example. And as much as, do I have any runners in here? Good. I'm in good company then because, oh, well, Nick, okay. <laughs> but runners, this is an example of running based on Paul's statement. You ran well. They were doing good. They were in the race. They, were, they had their pace and they were doing, they're running for that, the end goal. But Paul is using the figure of a race. This word suggests a breaking into a race. This word hinder. He says, who broke into the race course that you were running? And who cut in on you while you were running? Who who came in and slowed up your progress? I get this vision of, you know, the, um, the bike races. Uh, I can't remember the one that's in France. It's super big. But anyways, um, they're all racing. They're like going really fast. And then some other biker comes in and just wipes the other racer out. Or they all collide and it's just a big tangled mess of metal and people. 
This is kind of what had happened. This, this, these Judaizers cut in on them and are now slowing up their progress on beh- in their growth with Christ and God. Paul uses the word persuasion because it shows us by what means the Judaizers sought to draw the Galatians apart from God, away from the grace of God, from trusting in, in the work of Christ as solely sufficient for their redemption, for their salvation, for their forgiveness. They came in and they persuaded him. The warning to me here is how careful are we with what we hear and allow to influence us. That is not God's word. That is not uh, right teaching out of God's word. Looking at the context, finding out what God had to say. That's why it's so important for us at Calvary Chapel here to teach line by line through God's word. So that we're getting the, the message and the context of what's being taught. When we went to Nigeria, there was many times we, we would meet with um, small groups of people in different churches. And they were taking one scripture and a whole scripture would be so twisted out of place. And, and it was causing division among the believers there. There was a, a division among uh, people groups because of misinterpreting God's word correctly in light of the whole of the Bible. What are we listening to? Are we allowing ourselves to be politicized by various programs that we're pumping into our ears are we, or televisions? Are we allowing ourselves to become divided because we're are taking in all of this different social commentaries from various talking heads throughout our days? Are we allowing this leaven? See what Paul says in verse 9? It says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You guys know what leaven is? It's yeast. We use yeast in bread to make it blow up and be so yummy tasty, you know. But here it's bad, so don't get me wrong here. The Bible always speaks of leaven. In, um, it's always referred to in Scripture uh, to evil. And it's really because of, of its, when you get that yeast in the bread, you give it time and it expands throughout. It, it overtakes the loaf, the dough. He's saying that this little bit of teaching eventually will grow and, and disrupt completely your relationship with Christ if you continue to allow it to be. It's not that they were fully um, subverted into this wrong thinking, but that they were on the, on the cusp of just fully allowing it to engage them. And that's why he's warning them in such a great way. How careful are we with what we hear and allow to influence us? That is not God's word. He gave us this for a reason. This is his, his testimony uh, of himself as he's worked through history to allow us to learn of him. It's testimonies of Christ as he was a, uh, came down in the flesh. What he taught, what he said, what he did. It's testimony of how he birthed the church through the Holy Spirit. This is how we conduct our lives according to this. But Paul, he had confidence in a couple of things here. One, in verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you, or in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. 
but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He had confidence that the Lord would work this out in the lives of the Galatians, that they would come away from this false teaching, but that also Paul trusts that these false teachers would be dealt rightly with God. He wasn't, he wasn't worried. He knew that God was strong enough to, to work all of this out and that the truth would prevail. And he goes on to defend himself through these next couple of verses. And if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Look back there to um, verse 2. It says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Paul made that statement earlier on in his argument and, and reiterates here. He goes, if I'm preaching circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? In verse 2, would you say that Paul's preaching circumcision? Absolutely not. He says it won't prevail. It won't, give you any, it won't help you in any means. The false teachers were actually trying to subvert the Christians by saying that Paul was saying the opposite, that they, he was preaching circumcision, that he was saying, no, you need to. They were telling uh, the, those Gentile or Galatian Christians, no, Paul teaches circumcision, too. So Paul is defending himself. If I still preach it, why am I suffering persecution? Why am I getting beat every time I go into a town? If I am suffering persecution for what I'm teaching, then the offense of the cross has ceased. I'm no longer being uh, suffering, uh, or the cross is offensive. Because it means that Jesus took all of our, our wrongdoing upon himself. And it also speaks of his full righteousness to fulfill the law. And any who come to him are seen as law fulfillers through him. And the cross is the offense. It's offensive to self-work. It's offensive to religiousness and legalism. It's offensive because the most perfect person had to die. The most perfect, sinless one had to die on our behalf. Or did die on our behalf. And Paul says something very... Very heavy here. And uh, he says, I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And um, I'll let you guys read more about that. It's one of the harshest statements that Paul ever says in Scripture. And um, it's, it just shows the intensity in which he was concerned for these Gentile Christians. He goes, I just want them to even cut themselves off. Just go all the way with it. But we're going to come up here to verses 13 through 17. So far, we've been reading about how not to lose our gospel freedom, to stand um, firm in our gospel freedom. But the opposite, there's a warning as well. There's an opposite thing that can happen. We can abuse our freedom. We lose our gospel freedom by entering into legalism or works righteousness, works-based righteousness. The opposite temptation is to abuse it. 
This section calls back to where verse 6 left off. Paul is saying, but faith works through love. If we are uh, coming to Christ through faith and not of works, works, the works is now coming out of us through love. It says in verse 13, for, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, our gospel freedom comes with a responsibility. It's, it's not freedom to just sin willy-nilly as we desire. Paul even addresses this in Romans, saying that shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We're not sinning now because we've been, we've been forgiven and, and God will continue to forgive us. We don't continue on in that. You see, the law sought to hold back our sin, hold back our fleshly impulses by setting up rules and regulations. But there are some that thought, well, if we don't have to live by the law, then we can just do what we want, right? We're accepted. There's no, there's no responsibility to have to follow all these laws. But on the contrary, the freedom is to be governed by the Holy Spirit. We have the God's very presence living within us. And by faith, it, we've received Jesus and his spirit has come within us. And now these works will flow from us. It's the Holy Spirit within us that, dis, that directs our paths, directs the actions that we do. It directs the words we say, the ways that we act. Paul will go on later, and I encourage you to read on because it, it's just impossible to really cover all of this in such a shorter time. But he describes the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There's no law. That's where the true freedom is, is when the Spirit of God is working through us. The control of sin, the sin nature over the individual is broken at the moment they believe. We are and have been made free. The Spirit gives us power to keep, uh, keep us from sin, but also to do God's word, to do his will. Paul says in another place that, it, that he's confident that God will uh, work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we see that the work of the Spirit produces love that serves others. The Judaizers were seeking to bring the Gentile Christians under bondage. And whenever, that's not an expression of love. They're trying to bring them under a rules and regulation. They may have been misguided, but they were sincerely wrong. They were bringing them into bondage, not into the liberty and the love of Christ. It says, for the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you want to be a law-fulfilling Christian, then seek it through loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others as yourself. It's only fulfilled through the love that God has poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
And we're given a warning here. I always found this kind of odd that how, how he ends this. But it's important. He says, but if you bite and devour one another in verse 15, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He wants them to pursue love. This pursuing love is what will strengthen the church body. It's what will uh, cause us to, to grow in Christ. Paul contrasts pursuing love with the words bite and devour. Interesting. Such contrast. I love contrast in the Bible. It helps me understand more of what the picture of what God is trying to communicate through his word. Pursue love and bite and devour. How opposite can those things be? By consuming one another, Paul does not mean that they will lose their status as Christians. Because this is the encouragement to Christians but that such altercations within the Christian church will at length, if persisted in, destroy the organic community of life of the church. If we are going about and we are not um, loving our neighbors within the Christian church, within our, our body here, or even in other churches around the city, and we're biting and devouring one another, we will not see Christian unity and fellowship grow. And that is not a testimony to the love of God in our hearts. That is not a testimony that we are walking in love as Christ has called us to. You see, these uh, verse 26, I think, gives us a little bit of, of a fuller understanding of what biting and devouring looks like. Actually, the image of biting and devouring carries with it this, um, this visual of wild animals. You guys ever watched um, some Discovery Channel thing on wolves or some hyenas? Hyenas, they're a good example. They, they get a kill and one, you know, you got the alpha male in there just tearing to shreds, eating his fill. And then somebody else tries to sneak in and they, they just turn around and and bite at them, chase them away. That's kind of the imagery that you see is this wild animal thing going on. But look at verse 26 with me. We'll jump ahead in chapter five. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. These are the ways that we bite and devour each other. These are the ways that, this is the opposite of what the spirit is doing and working through us. It's being concerned about self, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. It's provoking one another to um, frustration. It's envying one another, with wanting what others have. Maybe, maybe it's a, a, some place in a ministry or, or a role as a leader of some sort. Maybe you're looking at them. They don't deserve it. I deserve the spot. I should be there. I have all the answers. Man, that devours and it destroys, it disrupts Christian unity in the church. It could be looking at other um, organizations and even uh, doing the same. But we need to understand that these behaviors will work actively against uh, the community of love that we are called to in the church. And so today we're, we're coming to the, the communion table 
And we have Jesus' body and blood which speaks of our salvation and our freedom that we've been discussing today. We have the bread and the cup which will point us to everything we've discussed. Because it took a righteous person on our behalf to take away our sins and, and, and be that acceptable sacrifice on our part. Because we couldn't do it. We've been talking about trying to achieve Christ or acceptance in God by works. But our works fail. The Bible tells our works is like dirty rags. Our righteousness like we, aren't, we aren't at all in any place able to approach God. But we had Christ who came on our behalf to tear down the, the wall of separation that kept us back from being able to have a relationship with him. We cannot be accepted on our own merits. But we look to Christ today who gave up his freedom that we might be made free. He was bitten and devoured by those he came to save, whose death speaks to the great love which, which he has for us. This is why Jesus died, so that we can be accepted, not by our merit, but by his merit alone. And we see that his work was accepted by the Father because he rose from the dead. He's not some great teacher that's still buried and you can find their headstone and, and read about their life. But he is alive and he is in heaven. He ascended to the right hand and he makes intercession for us because we can't do it on our own. He makes intercession for us. And so he is worthy to be praised and lifted up. He is worthy of all the love works that we can produce. Notice I said love works, not self works. Self work is trying to achieve his favor. Love works is, man, I love you. I want to do this. And my buddy Jaden come up and we're going to lead in... Uh, Worship, And as we lead in worship, just come and, and grab a, a cup and you can take it back to the seat and we'll partake together. But I encourage you today, if, if you've been struggling, you see the, the byproduct of, of relying on our own works is that we can, if we don't meet those expectations, we then have this built-in anxiety that we can't approach God. Maybe you set it up in your mind that, Man, I haven't been to church in a few, uh, few months or years or weeks or days. And I just, I don't know if I can go anymore. I haven't spent time with the Lord. And, and we get this anxiety over us and we're like, that, that we are unacceptable to him any longer. But today when we look at communion, remind yourself of why we're accepted and how we've been accepted in him. If you don't know Christ today, look to him for your salvation. Look to him to save you from sin and not your own works. You, there's no idol or false God that will save you. There's no works that you can do to 
There's no life you can live good enough to be accepted by God when you die. That's why Jesus had to come. And so, as we lead in this song, let's, we'll spend some time just praying and, and worshiping the Lord. And, and we'll partake together, okay?